All right, I am, I am thoroughly enjoying the book of Acts. It's, it's interesting for me to, um, I'm not taking a deep study on it. I'm, I'm just reading on the surface and seeing where the flow comes from. And as you've picked up, like with me, as I'm studying this, I'm asking the question, why does, um, why does Luke write these specific things? And so far, it's been intriguing for me to witness how um, Luke writes down how the gospel actually penetrated the world. How it started and how God made it happen. God makes these things happen. I think we've seen that now a few times. When I go out on my own effort trying to bring somebody to Christ, it just doesn't work. But if I just go and visit with people or just love them, then somehow or another the Spirit does some work and things fall into place. So we can't do this without God. That's, that's what we see in, in the book of Acts. We see it so beautifully because God first brings the gospel into the streets. He brings it among the normal people, right? Acts chapter 2, the, 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 the Holy Spirit comes down and is speaking in tongues. That's incredible. And then the second place where God then takes the gospel is where? Into the temple. So God says, okay, I'm going to start in the streets, and then we're going to go to the religious guys. I'm going to go to the guys who actually worship me. I'll start at the bottom, then I'll go to the middle, I'll go to the, the temple, and the gospel is preached through the, the lame guy that was healed, right? And you, God made that happen, okay? And then thirdly, last week, God says, okay, then I'm going to go right to the top. I'm going to deliver my gospel in the Sanhedrin amongst the religious leaders of the day. And that for me was absolutely incredible. I hope that uh, some of you were not here uh, last week. You know, I don't want to go over it again. But, you know, Peter and, and, and John, they stand there in the Sanhedrin the greatest leaders of the Jewish nation, the high priest is there, Annas is there, Caiaphas is there. These are the guys that have actually sent Jesus to be crucified. They, they, they participated in the process. And Peter and John has this opportunity to talk to them again about Jesus. I think Annas and Caiaphas, they were like annoyed. Is this guy, he's dead and he's still here. Is this guy not going to go away? No, he's not going to go away. Jesus will keep knocking on your door until you die. He's not going away. Now, we know that, but that's a message for the world. He will knock and knock. He will never stop. So, these guys, they look at, they look at Peter and John as they're preaching, and I can imagine they're all just sitting there, and they don't know what to say. And remember, there was a third guy with them. Do you remember who that was? It was the guy that was healed at the gate. He's standing there with them. So they can't, they can't say anything. And the text says, when they realized that these guys were unschooled, remember that was the one word? And the other word in Greek is idiotes. They were idiots. That's what the text says. It's like they, were, they looked like idiots. But they had boldness, the text says. So they, they were unschooled. They didn't go to school. They weren't academic. And they, they, were just, they looked like normal, average, everyday people. But they had this boldness they realized that they had been with Jesus. And the cool thing about that is, is that you, it's, it's fine. Look like an idiot as long as you proclaim Christ. That's fine. You are his servant then. They were wearing normal clothes. Nothing significant. And when they saw this guy standing next to them, there's nothing they could say. All right. And then they warned them and said to them, um, don't speak anymore in what? This name. This name. It's like they, they weren't walking around with swords cutting people's throats. They weren't 
physically hurting anybody. They were just speaking in the name of somebody. What does that tell you? That this name has got so much power. Just the name, Jesus Christ. May we never pray without that name. Never. Or live a day without that name. Because there's power in it. Even the enemy, Satan, knows that. And he wants to silence it. It's not just a name. All right. That's where we are. So they are released from the Sanhedrin. They weren't beaten or anything. They were warned. Everybody with me? The third time the gospel has been preached now. In the Sanhedrin it was preached. What happens next? Acts chapter 4 verse 23 to 31. That's what we are talking about tonight. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What I find so intriguing, I find this very intriguing. This morning's sermon, I, I preached because something in last week's sermon struck me and I thought it's, it's, it's a good theme to start the year with, to talk about prayer. These texts... I don't choose. It's just the next text in line. How is it possible that today we deal with prayer too? I didn't plan this. It's really not designed like that. The question I have first is this. What prompted this prayer? So they get back to the people, and what's the first thing they do? They report. What's the first thing the people say we must do? Guys, let's pray. It's the first thing. What do you think prompted the prayer? Well, the text. Yes, bro? Oh, sorry. Sorry, I ask questions and I don't give time to answer, but you're welcome to answer. Just say, hey, you, dude, shush, I want to answer your question. They said something. The people heard this. Well, what did they hear? What do you think the apostles told them? Yeah, everything. Hey, hey we've just been to the Sanhedrin, guys. Some of the guys that were listening to Peter and John have never been in the Sanhedrin. You don't get to be in the Sanhedrin. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like being, like I said last week, it's like standing in the Supreme Court of America. Have you ever been there? Anybody have, any of you been in the Supreme Court? That's the same. Not everybody gets an audience in the Sanhedrin. So it's like, okay, what does the big rulers of this whole country say? What do they say? Well, guys, they said, we must no longer speak in this name, Jesus Christ. Now, these people, they were saying this to, in other words, the church. How do you think they would feel about that? Yes, brother. I don't think there's anything here to make you believe that there is anywhere else other than amongst your own apostles. When it says they went back to their own, they went back to their apostles. Okay. Well, that's fine. I don't believe that there are a big congregation of people other than the Okay. I mean, we can debate that. But they've come, they've come back to their people. So we can, you can say that's just the apostles. You can say it's the whole church. Either way, it's believers. Okay? The believers, the Christians. So they get back to the Christians, how many they were, however they were, and they bring back this message. We can't speak anymore in the name. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh, yes. I, I, I like that. They, they, they knew the gospel was now delivered to the leaders of their country. Uh, this message has reached them. I find it interesting that the people with power tried to tell these guys, um, you need to stop talking in this name to a bunch of people whose clearly their lives have been changed by this name. I, I, I don't think we can comprehend this, but if you've seen Jesus raised from the dead, you've seen, you've seen Him, you've seen Him crucified, you've seen Him raised from the dead, and then a bunch of men, it doesn't matter how powerful or big they are, they tell you don't speak in His name anymore. It's, it's just crazy to think about that you're just going to listen to them. They are trying to stop this. They are trying to bring a stop to Jesus. They now have official opposition, these Christians. So, what do they do? The first thing they do when they realize, oh my goodness, the leaders of our country, the religious leaders of our country are in opposition to Jesus. The first thing they do is, they say, let's pray. And what's intriguing for me here is, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Do you think that they all said the same thing at the same time? Okay, one, two, three. So why does the text then say that? Oh. It doesn't mean that they, exa they had exactly the same words at the same time, but it means that they were one in heart and mind and passion. They all agreed. That's, that's the context I would interpret this verse as to say. They were, they, they were in, in agreement about what was going to be said now. Whether it was one person praying. I think when Luke wrote this down, I think he wrote down the basic idea that was in the minds and hearts of everybody that was there. Because he's going to bring in some scriptures. Um, so, so they agreed about one thing. What is the one thing you would say they agreed about? In this scenario, they agreed about the fact that they were not going to keep quiet about Jesus. They agreed with the fact that they're not going to submit to the wishes of the Sanhedrin. They agreed that they were going to do the will of God, no matter what. It doesn't matter who it is. Remember what Peter and John said? Do you think it's better for us to obey God or you? So they agreed on that. They had the same passion about this. I think this is important. This teaches us something about the church. You know what often halters the church is when we don't agree on what's essential and what's important. It's very important. Here, the key thing was the mission. What the Sanhedrin was trying to do is the Sanhedrin was trying to kill the mission. Don't let the word of Jesus spread throughout the world. It was undercover. Don't let the dunamis, the power, the dynamite continue. Stop it here. It mustn't spread. When the church has a different mission than what they had, that's when the church starts dying, starts ending off. So even us at Highway 20, I mean, we're at a, we're at a very important junction in, in, in the, the life of this church. We need to really reach a point where we all agree What's the most important thing? Is it the spread of the gospel? Is it the spread of the gospel? Because when we have that in common and we pray, stuff will happen. 
We have to be unified on this. They all wanted the same thing. They were united in the mission. They wanted gospel progress. They wanted the Great Commission fulfilled. The Sanhedrin tried to stop the Great Commission. And, and, and I feel what has happened in our world today is, is we've sidelined the Great Commission. Satan has found a way in which he doesn't directly stop the Great Commission like they tried to do. He silences it slowly but surely. He makes us focus more on church fellowship, church events, church stuff, and us and what we want all the stuff inside the church. He wants us to focus on one another and politics and issues with each other and doctrinal warfare. He wants to keep us busy so that we don't go out. So he's, he's clever. He's intelligent. He's an angelic being that has been on the earth for a few thousand years. He knows how to manipulate us. And if he can't stop us, he's learned already. You try to stop the Jesus movement in its tracks, it's not going to work. But if you sidetrack it, it will keep them busy with other things in the name of Christ. It's important to reflect on this. This little church, this little church in this little insignificant town can make a great impact in this town, in this county, in this state. If we are united in mind and we pray together like these guys. And so they, they start their prayer by addressing God, Sovereign Lord. Okay? They want to sort of, this prayer that's recorded for us, records for us their mindset. They, they, they wanted to make sure that the God they're praying to is not just some other God. He's the Creator God. He's the Creator God. And so they address God correctly. The one who made all things, the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. He quotes here, Luke quotes for us Psalm chapter 2. This might have been the situation. They are there and, and somebody in, in, in the crowd or that group of people, whoever it was, but they were believers, pulls out Psalm chapter 2 and reads it to them. And maybe that's why Paul quotes it here, oh, um, Luke. I'm going to read it to you. You're welcome to read it with me. You know, people ask me, um, does God like humor? What do you guys think? Do you think God likes laughing? And I always point them to this verse. There's actually a verse that says God laughs. You want to read it with me? And it's in the context of these verses. Look, uh, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire? It's almost tongue-in-cheek. And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That's the context of Psalm chapter 2. And then you continue, he speaks about the Messiah. There's a prophetic word there about the Messiah. God laughs. Okay, I'll say it correctly. God laughs. He laughs at these guys. Yeah, it just doesn't sound right when I say it. It sounds right when you say it. I can't say it like that. It just sounds weird. 
So he, he laughs at these, guy, at these guys. It's like God sits in heaven and he looks at the Sanhedrin. Did you guys just tell them to keep quiet? <laughs> Are you insane? Do you think they're going to keep quiet? Do you know what they've seen? They've seen my son. Their lives have changed and you think they're going to keep quiet? No, they won't keep quiet. Do you think you, Sanhedrin, you, Caiaphas, and Annas, you think you're going to keep Peter quiet? He walked with my son for three years. He's seen miracles that you cannot even comprehend. My spirit lives in that guy. You think you're going to stop him? You're insane. When I was thinking about this, I, I find it so sad that sometimes our spiritual lives are so dull that we have nothing to tell others. God sits in heaven, He looks at His servant Peter, and He knows Peter cannot keep quiet. Sometimes I think God sits in heaven, He looks at Michiel, and He says, Why are you keeping quiet? Do you have nothing that's exciting about your relationship with me to talk to others about? The verses continue. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. There's predestination in a sense. Now, Lord, consider their hearts and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they start off this prayer by saying, you are the creator. And then they go back to prophecy to David. David spoke about this. And then they say, you created this moment that we find ourselves in. You created this. God created this. And this... This explains why Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, and Israel. Do you see that group of people who conspired together to kill Jesus? These are different people. Herod, the king, right, put there by the Romans. Pilate, uh, the, the, the Roman, guy, uh, Roman guy, I can't remember what he was. And then the Gentiles, people who don't believe in the Jewish faith. And then Israel, those who do believe in the God of... You see, it's a different group of people. What brought them all together? The purposes of God. The purposes of God. And so they're saying to God, we understand that you're the creator. It was prophesied that this would happen. And you've put together this plan to have your son crucified. And we know that you are behind this. So these are all just statements in which they tell God that we know this. That you're in control. This was your plan. It was done by your power. We acknowledge you. And now they're going to make a request. What's their request? It says there, verse 29, look at their threats. And that gives you an indication as to the message that Peter brought them. Look at their threats. Look at what they're saying. They said that if we continue speaking in this name, then so and so will happen. The text doesn't tell us what's going to happen. So Lord, please look at their threats and then enable us, your servants, um, give us boldness to continually oppose them with the gospel. Um, help us to speak your words fervently. In other words, don't let their threats 
silence us. Strengthen us in the face of opposition. By your hand you created the world. Therefore, please go and, verse 30, do miracles. They're asking God for miracles. Why? So that there will be no doubt that our message comes from you. I think we need to pray for the same stuff. What is the greatest miracle that can happen in the world today? A changed heart. We need to pray about that. And that's what we're going to do next week, Sunday night. We're going to pray for changed hearts. We're going to pray that God does miracles in people's lives at their level, wherever they are at, so that they can come to a point when they can acknowledge God. We need to pray for this. We need to pray that people get surrounded by God's presence, that they can't deny Him. We have to. And what did they do? And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. It's interesting what just a prayer can do. It's interesting that a prayer can lead to the shaking of the ground. The scholars say they believe that this was, was an earthquake. An earthquake just at the place where they were meeting. Not the whole town, just where they were at. I don't know how that would happen. That seems to be what happened. Does anybody know of any such instance in the Bible? Think carefully. Two guys in prison. Paul and Silas, right? The prison was shaking until the doors flung open. That's what prayer can do. Prayer can shake the earth. Prayer can shake the planet we live on. We know Joshua chapter 10, right? God let the earth stop spinning around the sun. Think about it. Through a prayer. Sure, that's what God can do. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Even us, if we lack boldness, it starts with prayer. So, let me conclude here. Just thoughts from my side. United prayer should be our priority as a church. We have to be on the same page. The more of us are on the same page, if we agree that this is the mission, to make disciples of all nations, and we pray about that, which we will start to do next week, Sunday night. Oh, will make a difference. God will be here. He'll breathe His Spirit into us. For prayer to be united, we need to be on the same mission. We have to be on the same mission. And I want to challenge you to go home this week and go think about it. What do you think is your primary mission based on what you read in the Bible? What's your primary mission? Thirdly, we see a powerful prayer sequence that we can apply in our own lives here. First of all, these guys prayed and they said, this is who God is. He's the creator. He's the, the one who predestined the cross. This is who you are. This is what he has done. This is who we are. We're just servants. And this is what we want to do. We want to continue proclaiming your word. It's a nice sequence. If you're looking for a nice sequence on how to, to pray, maybe a good sequence. Start with who God is. Look back at what he had done. Tell God who you are. I'm your disciple. And I want to do something for you. And you pray about that. And that's the type of prayer that will shake stuff around you. I guarantee that. Well, the Holy Spirit does. 
And then lastly, one of the greatest benefits of prayer is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We um, generally, if you grew up in the same environment as me, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the only time we really talk about the impartation of the Holy Spirit is baptism. Because Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized everyone, and you will receive for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's sort of the only way we talk about the Holy Spirit. But we forget what Jesus said. We forget what He said. Look at this. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We can go tonight and pray and ask God to fill us with His Spirit. To fill us up our being. And He will do that. Do you think God wants us to be filled with His Spirit? Of course He does. We can do that tonight. And we can be bold for Him. That's all I have. Anybody else like to add something?